Welcome to Ways of Doing, How Women Work in Photography, a fast-forward podcast series. I'm Anna Fox, a photographer and professor of photography at University for the Creative Arts in Farnham, and I created Fast Forward with Karen Knorr in 2013 to promote and engage with women in photography across the globe. And I'm Maria Kapaeva. I'm an artist, and I have been working with Anna as a project manager on a Fast Forward since its start. And in this latest mini-series, we've been talking to women photographers as well as people from the industry about the different ways of working in photography. These conversations gives us some insights into how to make a living or how to subsidize and sustain a photography practice. As you'll hear, there are many ways of doing. Photographer Eileen Perrier has been working on commissions from the beginning of her career. Eileen was born and raised in London while coming from Ghanaian and Dominican cultural background. She is a documentary photographer who captures the diverse communities in the UK as well as in other countries. I personally have met Eileen as a lecturer at my BA course in Farnham, and she was one of the most inspirational and supportive tutors at that time. So we had a conversation with Eileen about how she sustained her practice and what does it mean for a photographer to work on commissions. The first commission I did was with Autograph and that was back in 1997, I think it was. And that came out of the red, gold and green series that I did on my degree. I went to Ghana in 1995. And then when I came back from Ghana, I just realized how important my mum's side of the family was, that community. And I felt like it was really important for me to document my family over here. So I went around everyone's houses and I photographed everyone and I used like an RB67. The tutors at Farnham, they selected a group of students to show their work at the end of the degree course at the Business Design Centre. And also after that, Val Williams and Anna Fox showed the work in Old Street I think it was you, Anna, you told me to get in touch with Autograph, but also I knew about Autograph through Armit Francis, who'd been a mentor with me since I was like 17 or 18. So he was one of the founding members of Autograph as well. So I got in touch with Autograph, I met with Mark, and a year later he commissioned me to continue with that body of work. I think a lot of commissions that I've done have come out of my personal work I guess they want me to develop it further, so they commissioned me to do that. And in the case of Autograph, part of the agreement, the contract, was that they would have a set of the works that I produced. It was like a £1,000 they gave me, which I thought was a lot of money at the time. I bought myself a little twin lens camera, and then I hired lights, and again I went around more family members' homes, and I took their portraits on that. Then Autograph did a monograph of my work. That relationship kind of just continued and I also worked at Autograph for a number of years like one day a week. It's really interesting what you've said there that although it was a very small commission and I know that even today a lot of commissions are very small in terms of their financial reward actually the commissioner quite often gets a set of prints which means it's a complete bargain for them but despite that it was an incredible opportunity for you because of what it led on to. Yeah it was amazing The monograph that they produced, that kind of went to France. And so 
that formed another relationship with a curator called Simon Njami, who was um, one of the editors of Revue Noir. First international exhibition I did was in Bamako, and also in Barcelona, and I think he influenced that. And then he included me in Africa Remix, which, you know, is one of the first shows that kind of was a retrospective on African art. At the time, you know, what he was doing was quite amazing, and um, that went to many different venues, from Japan, Germany, it came to the UK, Paris at the Pompidou Centre. So that was really good exposure. That was just after I graduated from the Royal College of Art. But was there any kind of difficulties you might think of when you're doing a commission or you agree on a commission? I asked, I think one of the curators at the Photographer's Gallery, they commissioned me to do a project in Brixton. And I think I was asking, you know, how can I get gallery representation? And I remember them saying to me, well, if you do all of these commissions, but you're not doing your own personal work, you're not going to get representation. I didn't quite get it, but over the years, I can see what they mean. It seemed like I was known just for commissions rather than my work, even though a lot of the commissions I got came about through me doing the work that I did, if that makes sense. And maybe because I was associated with Autograph as well, it meant that people probably thought, oh, well, you're represented by Autograph. It's a problem, isn't it? This understanding the whole gallery representation thing, especially when you photograph people. I think it's much more difficult for the galleries to actually sell work that's essentially documentary pictures of people. But commissioning is, I suppose, is always being considered one of these ways that a photographer can expand their work more than make a living. You can expand what you're doing and your network. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I agree with that. In the end, you know, I've been working in higher education, what it's like, what, 18 years now. That's been my main income. And then I've just done these commissions maybe once a year or a couple of times a year, I'd get a commission. It's usually been through word of mouth that I've got commissions. And I never did commercial work. It's literally been like art commissions that I've done. You were not interested in the commercial photography. After I finished at Farnham, I remember I started to take my portfolio around to different places and people were really positive about my work. They'd go, oh, yeah, you know, you haven't got the experience. So they gave you another name to follow up with someone else. And so you kind of did that and it just felt like it was going to take quite a while before something would happen. You know, I didn't have the finances to sustain me being able to do that. I had to have an income stream coming in. I just loved doing what I was doing. You know, I knew that I had to get paid. I knew that I wasn't going to do stuff for free. But at the same time, I just loved doing it. So they reached a point when I did the Whitechapel Commission, which was in 2008. I was so excited. They'd seen the work from Africa Remix and they said that we want to commission you. And I was like, oh, great. And I remember the fee was really low and they wanted me to do something for like a month. And I actually said to them, I can't do this. So we had to kind of negotiate. I didn't want to not do it because I knew it was, it'd be good for me to do it. In the end, I was really glad I did it. It really worked out because we found a way to work with what the budget was. I ended up taking the images on Polaroid. That work was shown at the Whitechapel a year later. Someone from Germany saw the work and then they commissioned me to go over to Germany to do the same thing. And then it was really weird because that mobile studio project, it went on for years. I'd get commissioned to do the same thing in different places. It became like that was my thing that I did for about four or five years. And I became a bit fed up with it. 
because I just thought I'm just doing this thing now. It feels like there's not much money <laughs> with what I've done, but at the same time, it's been very rewarding. I see it as a life's journey, like, because it takes me places where I would never have gone. There's so many spontaneous situations that you get yourself into, and I kind of like that. I really like this, uh, all your stories. It's almost like this constellations of all the people, events, and how it's building like a network, but also leads you to some new commissions, new work, but also giving the exposure to other people. It really reminds me about the importance of doing things, despite the money maybe not being very much. However, I do think we should campaign for the money to be more, you know, in all aspects of art-based photography. I'm really interested to know what happens next. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But all I know is that I'm going to do a little bit of teaching, but not as much as before. So I just thought, okay, just use this year to kind of like be a bit more braver with where I go. You know, like just try stuff out. For so many years, because it was just literally work, 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 being a mother, trying to raise my son, you do these commissions and sometimes I'll do work and then I've not even looked at my work. <laughs> I've got like piles of stuff that I need to look back at. I almost feel like I don't want to produce any more work until I've actually looked at what I've done. As we heard through Eileen's experience, commissions are not necessarily the most lucrative way of working, but can be a fantastic way to expand your practice and network. In the conversation, Eileen mentioned the photographer's gallery, who she'd worked with, and they do commission work from time to time. I spoke to Shuer Mavlian, who has very recently become the director of the photographer's gallery. And before that, she was the director of PhotoWorks, which is well known for commissioning artists and photographers to make new work. I asked Shoer to tell me about PhotoWorks and the significance of commissions. PhotoWorks is a pretty unique organisation, founded in 1995. And what's really interesting about it is that it never had a building, so it never had a physical space to exhibit work. And what that meant was it focused a lot of its work on commissioning new projects and providing the support system and the funds and the network to allow artists to make new projects. And it's been doing that since the mid-90s in many different ways and I guess most recently um, when I was at PhotoWorks we had two major commissioning opportunities the Joewood PhotoWorks Awards and the Ampersand Fellowship. Did you notice anything about women in particular, women photographers applying for commissions or doing commissions? Were there enough women applying for example? Did you have to exercise any positive discrimination at any point? With the Joewood PhotoWorks Awards and the Ampersand Fellowship, in the 25-year history of PhotoWorks, they're relatively uh, new commissioning opportunities. The Joewood PhotoWorks Awards has been running for four iterations, so eight years. And actually, over that eight-year period, the percentage of women commissioned was over 50%. So more of the awardees were women than men. Everything we did at PhotoWorks, there was always a background of gathering data. And we had all that data, but we didn't have to take that into any action, actually. Something that might be interesting to consider in relation to the Joewood PhotoWorks Awards is that it's for early career photographers, so people in the first 10 years. Uh, There was no age restriction on it, but it by and large meant that people were younger, so in their 20s or 30s. Maybe at that point in their lives, it was easier for women to apply for that opportunity. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, in fact, 
people talk about how in the UK that the mid-career artists and photographers have the most difficult time yeah and those are more likely to be the people or the women who have caring duties of one kind or another I mean what do you think are the key issues then women photographers today do you think there are still things that they need to get around or persuade people that change is needed I think it's not just women photographers I think that it has to be the whole network of people that work in the arts actually All of those people in that network that have decision-making powers have to be aware of gender parity and equality and inclusivity. It needs to be ingrained in the process all the way through. And I guess the one thing that artists can do is that they can hold those people with decision-making powers accountable and that can then help force change. Do you think there's still a lot of change to come? I hope so. I mean, I hope that we live in a world where... Our cultural organisations begin to and continue to represent the world we live in. I don't think cultural organisations will remain relevant unless they do that. So for me, the biggest thing I see that women need to develop is confidence. I still think for competitions, especially ones that charge an entry fee, I don't think enough women are are entering. I'm very pleased to hear that you feel that at PhotoWorks there are enough women entering those competitions. And I think probably that is affected by the fact that it's a younger age group applying. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think it also comes back to the audiences of these organisations. PhotoWorks has an equal split in gender in its audiences, actually. So that means that you're starting from a point where you hope that your audience is really broad and really equal and then people that who follow you then apply. I'm really interested in figuring out what are assumptions and what the data says and how those two things can sit side by side. I've made sure that data was a focus at PhotoWorks over the last few years. What is a very wrong assumption that you've come across? <laughs> Um, I guess one of the assumptions is that, yeah, that somehow there's not as many women applying for competitions. Because if we did have that come back in the data, then we would make sure that we figured out a way to reach the women artists and remove any barriers that are there for them in that process. I guess the biggest assumption about photography, photography audiences, is that there's uh, more men than women in photography audiences, and that wasn't the case at PhotoWorks. I think it depends on your organisation and it depends on the programme that you're running. People like to see themselves reflected in the programme. You mentioned that uh, mid-career photographers are often overlooked. There is quite a lot of opportunity for emerging and early career photographers and not as much opportunity for mid-career you know, the question is, how do you define mid-career? We defined it at PhotoWorks by continuing on from what we did at the Joewood PhotoWorks Awards. So Joewood PhotoWorks Awards was the first 10 years of someone's career, and then the Ampersand Fellowship basically picked up where that left off. So over 10 years experience, over 10 years of continuous practice. We were really interested in that being an opportunity that was a solo show, because it's incredible to help someone and support someone to make a new project but then the next step is how do you physically get that out into the world and how does that become something that is a moment in someone's career where it's their first solo exhibition in the UK. As a photographer you could say to yourself okay I know that I've been working for 15 years I know that that's the opportunity for me because the other thing that happens quite often with opportunities that come up is that 
photographers find it difficult to identify whether that is the right project for them at that point in their career and are often nervous to apply for something that is too junior or not the right type of positioning for them and perhaps miss an opportunity and then don't apply for something else which is more in line with what they should be. It's about identifying what opportunity is right for you at at Mm. each point in your career. So for me, commissions are really important. I don't know if you share this view, but I think, you know, you can go on making work on your own or, or raising a bit of sponsorship here, there and everywhere. A commission usually comes with a community of people, whether it's from the organisation or the other people who are being commissioned, or perhaps a a writer and a curator as well, because if you're planning a a bigger show or publication. And to be involved with that community and to have a discussion, a deadline, something that you're really looking forward to, an exhibition or a publication, is so important. And you can't always do that with your own personal project, because... It's just harder to get it done and to work it out. So I think they're really, really valuable for that reason. Yeah, and commissioning is something that absolutely is like an under-recognised part of the photography world. When you look back over the past 50 years, so many projects, when you actually do the research and dig down, they were commissions. That somehow has been erased from history. And the really amazing thing about the two major commissions that PhotoWorks runs is that it's all about bringing an idea to the table that is a fully formed idea that hasn't fully been executed yet. So a project that you really want to make that you may have started to make, but you need that extra help with to finish it. And then it becomes not just about the work, it becomes about the conversations and the mentoring and the network that the organisation brings. I think that there is a negative connotation attached to the word commission. And I think there's a generation of people that don't really understand what a commission is and that a commission is something that the artist can have control over. Mm. Um, It's not being told what to do Mm. and to, to deliver to a very strict brief. It actually can be something that's really opens up your practice and expands your practice. It can be a vehicle to allow you to deliver a project that you want to make. Whether a commission has a theme or not, it's still a space to develop your practice, to expand, to take on new ideas and have time to do research. As well as commissions, some photographers sustain their practice through applying for grants, which can also seem to be a laborious process. While assistant researcher at Fast Forward, Elizabeth Ransom and I were in Miami, we met photographer Amalia Caputo. Amalia juggles three hats, her family, paid work and her artistic practice, which she sustains both through her paid work, but also through commissions, residencies and grants. We're here at the Bake House, which is an extraordinary studio complex. The background noise is obviously other people in other studios, things going on at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of things going on here always. The Bake House has been here since 1985, supporting artist studios with low rent. And this in a city that has been totally gentrified and is a real estate craze moment is a great thing. So for me, is it's huge to have the opportunity to have a studio at a place like the Bakehouse. 
I was uh, born in Venezuela. I studied art history at the Universidad Central de Venezuela. I had always been in love with photography since I was 15. I had a camera in my bag and I was documenting my life because I thought it was really important to document. So I've always been fascinated by the idea of the archive. And, and now I still work on that. And I went to study at a dual program, MA, at uh, New York University and the International Center of Photography. So I had met my husband and then we moved to Barcelona where I lived for about 10 years. And my practice geared into also uh, giving photography classes. And while I have my career as an artist, I've been working um, in art profession. We moved back to the US in 2003. I've been in Miami ever since. Uh, we had a large studio in Wynwood, my husband and I, he's also a photographer, but gentrification came and I kind of shared studios with other friends and then four years ago I moved into the studio at the Bakehouse. And I mean, one of the things we're looking at in this podcast is, you know, how do women make their way in the photography world? How do they earn a living? How do they generate funding for their new work? What sorts of things have helped you to get where you are in that respect? Okay, I have to say that I have always worked in parallel, like in freelance jobs, like uh, writing essays for other artists or as an editor for a publication. I also do translation from English to Spanish from some museums in LA. So I've always been related to the art system. Lucky enough, I haven't had to work in other realms of life. From everything I earn, I try to save money to produce my work. In recent years, I have had uh, some help in the form of, of grants and commissions. One of the most exciting commissions I had was the Miami International Airport I opened a call during the pandemic and you had to submit some work and there was a jury and you would get funding for the production of work. I've won an Ellie's Award, which is a creator award uh, to do my last solo exhibition that took place in 2021 with a foundation called Ulight Arts that does a lot of funding for artists and filmmakers. I constantly apply to grants, open calls. I think it's a part of the exercise of being an artist nowadays is that you have to make yourself present even though you don't get the grant because you, know, you never know who's looking at your work as a juror or as a curator that happens to be a juror. And um, as per the residencies, I've been to mostly local residencies because until very recently I was a caregiver of two kids that are off to college now. So now in my age, which I'm about to be 60 next year, I do apply, but you know, there's also ageism for us women artists. So I do think that the life of an artist is, in my case, it's not an easy one. Then you have to have this social persona, which for me, having time constraints between my money-making job, my artwork, and my family life. I found very difficult to have and lead a social life and, you know, mingling with curators and people that are going to connect you. And, and Miami is kind of like that. This is now the period from January to April where I'm like writing like crazy and applying to exhibitions and things. And I've applied to grant for, you know, the production of a book of my work. You know, we're still hopeful because we still do this. Like, otherwise we would have quit, right? I don't want to sound very negative, but it's not an easy path. 
And on the other end, it's very fulfilling because I am very lucky to be able to work in what I want to work and to research on what I want to research. And I'm very independent that way. And I find a tendency in this city that everything gears towards gallery representation and selling work. And I'm more interested in showing the work and having, you know, a publication, you know, having interaction with the public or work on collaboration. Going back to what you were saying earlier about um, how you sort of spend, I think it was January to March applying for grants, this idea of how artists structure all of these, you know, the caregiving roles, the working on the side, the doing your artwork, the applying for all the various different residencies and whatnot. Do you have a strategy that you use or is it just sort of whatever you can fit in and without being totally exhausted? I'm usually exhausted (laughs) like I think I can get really organized I just do like calendars of submissions and I work tight on those calendars but I do know that I've been really good at juggling and I think as women we always have one more thing to do like one more task to fulfill I always say this like a men artist they can stay in the studio until three in the morning if they're creative and unless you have your studio at home And if you have a family, you don't want to miss that either. It's a choice to be with my kids at dinner time doing homework. So it's like you are always in this position where you have to make choices of your time, of how you devote your energy. I always said that I had like three hats and I wore three hats. My whole life I've been doing that. I have my, you know, my artwork, my family life and my professional like income life or paid work. It's like so questioned as a profession, even more if you're a woman and an artist. We've spoken a lot about how many women working in photography and women artists can fall off the radar in mid-career, as they tend to be the main caregivers of children and juggling family life. Being creative, earning a living and managing a busy life is awful a lot to manage. Something that uh, jump out for us all is how Amalia has dedicated time for writing grant applications, which is something many people find very challenging. But actually for many artists, including myself, it is how they sustain their practice. The career of our next guest, Natasha Kroana, a photographer and the founder of Workshop Grow, hasn't been straightforward. But she has always strived to share her knowledge and resources with other women. Going to university was a key element to my artistic career, I believe, because I was the first one to go to university in my family and the only one to then go to university in my family. And there were a lot of barriers against me becoming a student and studying. I was very lucky that my school had a dark room I was actually really bullied at school and I found school really difficult. I would just hide in the darkroom. Through that, I then kind of found my way to go into university and I went to University of the Creative Arts in Farnham doing their photography course. So that was really amazing that I was able to do that. Slowly, slowly, I became more and more engrossed in what I was learning. I didn't really expect to enjoy theory as much as I did and having come from being told you know you're dyslexic you can't read you can't write and a really difficult schooling it just became really accessible to me this idea of like learning and studying and writing 
And that's what really helped me through. And then secondary to that, I then started to find my voice within my work. And it was at Farnham that I started to really focus on this idea of essentially the messiness of love, which I still work on today, like 15 years later. I then went on to study an MA at the Royal College. I had tutors that supported me, but also I was given a grant. And my first example of getting free money meant that I didn't have to study alongside working at Lidl in Brixton every day and doing like multiple different jobs. After my MA, kind of actually laid low for a few years and didn't really start exhibiting. I did apply for the Arts Council though, and I got rejected like three times. I took it really personally. And it wasn't until 2012 when I started to show my work more. And that was kind of a real kind of marker for me of making work that I enjoy. And if I didn't have money, I could then make work that didn't maybe need as much money. So, for example, I made the series Fairy Tale for Sale, which involved collecting images from the Internet. So existing images meant I didn't have to buy film. I didn't have to travel. I could just appropriate what I needed, tell the story of the wedding dress or, you know, weddings today. My first major milestone was I won the BMW Award in 2014. And that was an amazing moment. You know, I went to Arles to receive that. From that moment, I then met a lot of curators. I made a big body of work living in France, driving this sponsored free BMW for the time that I was there. They made a film, they made a book. That was a moment where I was sort of put on a different level within my art. That was also the moment that I decided that I was going to keep some of that commission money and start giving back and creating more of a mentorship relationship with other women coming up that needed to be more supported. And that's kind of essentially what I do today. You know, I still make work for me and I exist using grants and awards and commissions, but alongside I give back but I kind of give back in different ways than I did then. And how you manage uh, sort of to get the skills, get the learning, even like management, budgeting. And then you also mentioned like you've applied for Arts Council, were unsuccessful, but then and then you start to get the grants from Arts Council and other funds. So can you share how you managed to learn that, what to do? I actually applied seven times and I got it on my eighth time so eight applications the Arts Council I don't know how I even managed to continue with that (laughs) you know over kind of eight to ten year period I suppose one of the best lessons for me people always say to me now like how are you so good at getting grants and essentially all of those rejections were redirections for me and really great lessons like learning each time how to craft that particular language learning about how to do an activity plan understanding the budget and also understanding that those applications are essential way of knowing what the project is the application process is a gift essentially because it gives you a deadline and also it gives you a structure for the thing that you want to make there's a way that actually the process of sitting and writing and really being clear about what it is you want to do has meant that I've been able to make the work that I've wanted to make using those systems when they just brought out the DYCP grant What I did is I actually asked an amazing mentor, Hannah Redler, to have a look over it. She kind of showed me the before and after, and that was so powerful to learn how I can change a sentence to say, I will do this, or it's imperative I'll do this. And now I know I have to sit with my confidence hat on, and I can write those applications quite easily now. There's only so far you can go by hustling, having second or third jobs to pay for your practice. You're always going to have a ceiling. So you have to really think about how can I get investment into me and my work? And 
funding and awards are definitely one of the ways to do that but it's a skill learning to apply for awards and learning to write those applications it's completely essential for a photographer working as an artist uh, all these ideas and sharing actually the skills was one of the initial thoughts as i understand for your school to establish and start to support the emerging artists who might even not have access to higher education so can you tell how you started and what your school does i set up workshop grow as a real moment to start teaching real professional practice within the university system there's structures and there's monitoring and evaluation so once you graduate you get that real life perspective of oh gosh maybe i do need to learn some more stuff in order to survive out there and the workshop grow school is an online educational platform and it really teaches how to get your work out there and how to support yourself you know with confidence with support of community and with an amazing roster of tutors that come into the school from around the world that talk to us about their experience through mentorship and also expert workshops as well and we do monthly crit and that crit system is sometimes lost when you finish university it isn't just about getting feedback from people it's also the deadline <laughs> because sometimes you might just make work like two days before and think oh my god i need to do something so it gives you structure but also it gives you the confidence to start talking about your work it is such a beautiful community where we talk about how things really work coming back to this applying for funding and grants to support your own practice maybe like i don't know advices or a piece of wisdom to people who would like to try to apply but maybe haven't done before i would say the the first thing to do is to start telling people that you're going to do it start saying out loud i'm going to start applying for funding because that is so important of owning that and then getting a support network together you don't have to do it alone and then starting that google <laughs> finding out who the funders are who it is you want to apply to and then signing up to their newsletters so you've got really current information of what those awards are and then you actually have to allocate the time to write them <laughs> that can be a really hard thing as well so think about how you work is the best way of you doing an hour a day or do you want to earmark you know a weekend a month where you do it and then you don't need to rush it as well so make sure you have enough time and space to actually craft what the project is you want to do. So either way it's still useful for you even if you don't get the money you've still got a written project. Then I would also start to think about how you think about rejection. Really rephrasing that mindset of what is it that you need to learn as an artist and seeing writing those applications as a really essential part of your development. the umbrella of all of this is confidence think about how you can work on that confidence everybody finds their own journey and actually i think it's a really wonderful thing that we all come to art from different areas so it's just finding your own voice in what it is you want to do there's no road map for this amazing career we have so you can make it yours and that's really exciting yeah this is really important advice from natasha to create your own way of doing things to build your confidence and to make time in your schedule to make the applications and as well not to treat rejection as a bad thing to reuse it to reuse your rejected applications and to keep going 
It's been a real privilege to have the opportunity to speak to all these distinguished people and to listen to all their experiences is totally invaluable. Everyone works differently and builds up their network in ways that suits them as individuals. And I was really touched by some of the personal experiences that have been conveyed here. It really has been very much impressed on me that the network that you build for yourself is a really precious key to the career you want to develop. And we hope hearing these conversations has been inspiring and has given you some new perspectives on how to make it happen. Fast Forward is really keen to create access to the important stories of how women work in photography, as we believe it's vital to developing new confidences and to understanding how to get on in this business. And do take a look at our website, fastforward.photography, where there are plenty of resources, projects and information that will support and inspire you. So, goodbye until the next series. <laughs> I just had to do that again because it was so fun. <laughs> this podcast mini-series was hosted by Anna Fox and Maria Kapaiva, funded by a Knowledge Exchange Grant from University for the Creative Arts. Audio production by Lucia Scatzocchio from Social Broadcasts. Thank you so much to all our contributors.